Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. Oh, guys, I'm so excited to be in this new series of messages called Influencers. Turn to the person beside you and say, I'm an influencer. Turn to the person on the other side and say, you're an influencer too. Come on, do you know that today? You're an influencer. I believe, uh, I believe as a church, as people of God, we're called to be people of influence. And God wants to use your life to be influential. I know Pastor Dustin already took a moment to honor some people, and so I could go through a whole list of my own. But I do want to say to to you guys, Pastor Dustin and Tessa, the whole team that you lead, we're really proud of you. And here we are. We're a year in from being in this, you know, sort of set up as a church. And you guys have done such an unbelievable job stepping into a role that felt big and still feels big in so many ways. And as, uh, you know, uh, for the first couple years of our church, we would all roll up to the same place at the same time with one trailer, and it would be all hands on deck making it happen. And then a year ago, we, we decided to do things a little bit differently, and so now we meet in three places at the same time all across the city. And, and uh, you know, we could not do that without people who are willing to step into what God has for them. And that's what happens when you make space, people elevate into the space that is created. And in our own lives, when we make space for God, do you know that, that he brings a lift When we make a little space for God, there's this faith lift that comes into your life and the areas of your life where you say, God, I'm not going to live in the shadows. I'm just going to step out into this wide open space. That's a statement in scripture that God has called us into wide open places. I think there was like a country song about it, right? Wide open spaces. Unbelievable. God has called us into like a wide open space, not feeling stuck, not feeling, you know, like we're trapped, but actually a wide open space to be influential. And so today we're starting this brand new series called Influencers. Now I need to say at the very beginning, the onset of this series, that I may, I may poke a little bit of fun, I may tease influencers just a bit today. But I, I, I want to be clear that every career path has things worth teasing. Are you with me? I was in a group of, of all pastors earlier this week. I'm like, we are a strange group of people like, there would be so many things that you could go, like, I can see you from a mile off. I know, because, because every subgroup of people has some, kind of some strange characteristics, does it not? Imagine if you get, like, a group of teachers all in the same room. They're going to have some things that you say, oh, that's, that's a teacher thing. If you get a group of students in the same room, come on, everybody knows there's some things that, oh, that's a student thing. Same would be true if it was nurses or investors or you know, any, any type of thing, real estate agents, get them all in a room. They're all just going to pass cards back and forth. It'd be amazing. There'd be so many business cards just flying from everywhere, right? There's just, there's things. But, but I, I'm interested. I, I find myself around young people fairly often because there's seven of them who call me dad. And so I'm around them and their friends. And, and uh, as we're interacting, I've started to hear when people ask the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? What's your career path? I've started to hear that some people answer the question with, I want to be an influencer. I want to be an influencer. There's this part of me, kind of like this, this, this old man part of me, like in a rocking chair on my, the front porch of my own mind, who's saying, get a real job. <laughs> and then there's this other part of me that's like, whoa, how'd you get so old so fast? What's going on here? It, it's this, this new kind of wave, if you will, of of career paths. So I want to say this, if you're an influencer in the room or you aspire to be, 
I, I love the entrepreneurship. I love the, I love the grit. I love the hustle. I love that you're, you're finding a way. And, and I, as I hear it more and more, I'm thinking, hold on a sec. Is that not one of the most uh, truth-filled desires that a person could have? I don't, know where, I don't know about my paychecks. I don't know, you know my nine-to-five, but I want to be influential in my life. I want my life to actually influence the lives of others. What does influence mean? It's essentially to draw the attention to or to point out the importance of something to other people. And so it would be kind of essential to the gospel. You think of Jesus, he described himself this way. He said, I am the light of the world. In describing himself, he said that that's how you can, you can know me. I'm the light of the world. Like, is there anything more influential than light in a dark place? You're in pitch black and a light turns on. All attention is drawn to the light. Are you with me? What an influencer. Because I'm the light of the world. Without me, it's just a dark place. Without me, it's a cold, impersonal, dark place. But I'm the light of the world. And then he says in Matthew chapter 5 to his, his friends, his disciples, he says this, you are the light of the world. And they probably in hearing this were like, Jesus, you got your pronouns mixed up. You always said you were the light of the world. We're not the light of the world. We don't have that ability that you have. We don't have the ability to literally light up a room. Like, like we're not the same. And Jesus is saying, no, I see in you the, the, the mandate that's upon me. And your role is not to generate light from within yourself to be, you know, a, a source of light. It's actually to be a reflection of light. So as I am light in the world, I will shine off your life as if, if you and I were a, a mirror, not a, a flashlight, that, that God's light would reflect off our lives. And we would literally reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. It's why it's central to the, the mission of Vivid Church. We're just reflecting the light of Jesus' life for all to see. We are called to be influencers, called to be those who can draw the attention to something that matters. What? The heart of God. And so the more and more I hear young people saying, oh, I aspire one day to be an influencer, I'm like, that's actually pretty pretty cool. Whether or not it has the, the financial benefits that, that one might hope for, that's a pretty cool desire to say, I want to be an influence. I don't know about you, I see these pop-up videos from time to time on and one social network or another, and it's something like this. Like, I used to work a job just like you. <laughs> but then I learned the secrets of selling just one product on Amazon. Now I'm rich beyond my wildest dreams. Look at all the cars I drive. And if I were to unbutton my shirt, you'd see I have a perfectly defined eight-pack. <laughs> I don't work out. I don't eat any different than anyone else. I've just learned some trade secrets. Swipe up, and I want to show you how in 20 easy minutes. Right? And you're, you're like, man, that just sounds like, that's unbelievable. So if you're taking notes today, just write this, write this down. Here's the title of today's message. Trade secrets. Trade secrets. Here's this, this person saying, I became influential, I've become an influencer, and, and by virtue of that, I want to share what I've learned with the world. I want to share with you my trade secrets. It would probably be true that every trade has some secrets, does it not? That, that every type of lifestyle, everything we aspire to do, there are some things you can learn over time to do it better, to do it more efficiently, to do it more productively. I think more and more as I look through scripture, I see this is a, a book filled with trade secrets on how to do the things that God has called us to. You know, the Bible says this, that God has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. How good is that? That everything we need to be the people he called us to be, he's already made available to us. And we need to grow into receiving what he's already given us. 
the grace that he's already extended towards us, literally to be influencers. It's interesting, you know, I, I read a, a statistic, it's kind of shocking, the amount of just sheer content that is, is out there. Every single day on YouTube, there is enough content uploaded that if you were to sit down and, and begin to watch it now, you would not finish before you die. Every day. Every day, more than 90 years of content is uploaded to YouTube. Like, there are billions of years uh, of, of just, like, watchable content floating around. In, and every day, 90 more years goes up. I should say this. There are billions of years that have been spent viewing the content that floats out on the Internet. And every day, about 90 years' worth of content is being put out there with people going, hey, I've got an opinion on something. And again, I'm, I'm not poking fun at it. I actually think it's amazing that people would think they have that many important things to say. <laughs> I think it's great. And have you ever noticed this like cross-platform that happens? Like someone is like, I've got opinions about sport, therefore you need to know my opinions about politics. Right? I, I, I've got fashion tips for you, therefore let me tell you these health tips. Right? And it, it's just opinion going out there. It's amazing how much content's out there. And you see often that, that video content would begin with this this statement that kind of rings in my head. So a lot of you have been asking. <laughs> you with me? Yeah. And then it's usually about product placement, right? Like a lot of you have been asking how my skin is so luminescent. <laughs> and I'm thinking, like just hold for one second. Has anyone ever asked you that? <laughs> like we saw your post about the, the quinoa that you made for dinner and we're just like, sorry, I can't even focus on the quinoa right now. How is your skin so luminescent? <laughs> and then it happens so many times that eventually like, okay, fine, I give. I'm going to tell you my trade secrets. I'm going to let you in, right? That statement. So a lot of you have been asking. And it has led me down this pathway is like, what are the things that people are asking you the most often? What are the questions being posed to me the most often? Like, like, there's certain questions I get, I get asked all the time, like, by, by virtue of having a large family, people ask crazy questions, and, and one of them, like, oh, wow, so are these all, all planned? Which would be a funny question to just answer, right? Yeah. Right, to answer and, like, to just mess with people, be like, yeah, totally, no. <laughs> Kinda, like that gray area, you know, and then, yeah, but definitely not. That could be weird to, to go through it, but people just feel like, oh, I can ask this question, because... You have, you know, embarrassed yourself so much to have a large family. Now I can just ask you anything I want. It's amazing, <laughs> right? And then there's different things like people ask it and like without even thinking, without even hesitating, people, oh, so what do you do, right? Do you get asked that, that question a lot of times? And, and especially if it's on the tail of them telling you all the stuff that they do, you're like, oh, my answer might not sound as impressive as it, it used to. Or you say, oh, man, I, I, I act. Oh, what have you been in? Have I seen you? Would I know you? You're like, oh, man, I answer this question all the time. And so you figure out, like, different ways to answer the same question. Are there questions that you get asked often? Like, man, if you're getting asked the question a lot, wow, why do you look so tired? <laughs> Probably something you ought to address, right? If you're getting asked the question, like, a lot around, like, hey, could you just calm down? Like, that might be something you, you want to think about. But I was thinking about this. You know, in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, if you could turn there today, this is really the thought process which has sparked the whole concept of this of this series. First Peter chapter three, if you could turn there with me. 
1 Peter chapter 3. Peter makes this statement that every time I read it, I kind of stop dead in my tracks and have some questions that I need to ask myself. 1 Peter chapter 3 and uh, in verse 15. He says this, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. How crazy is that? He goes, in, in your hearts, revere Christ, and then always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who's asking you the question for the, the reason behind the hope you have. How often are we getting asked the question, hold up, sorry, you know, I, I'm just, I, I got to stop you there. Where'd you get your hope from? Like Peter seems to be implying that this should be such a regular question for you and I, that we should think about our answer, that we should prepare our response and kind of have it locked and loaded. It's like he's saying, I know you get asked this all the time. That, that you and I could say like of, of our, our, our testimony, like, so a lot of you have been asking, where do I get my hope? <laughs> I thought today I would like, like think about this. He's saying this should be such a normal question that you keep on getting asked that why, why would you not think through a, a more concise, more thoughtful answer, an answer that can come across with gentleness and respect. That when people go, where do you get your hope? You're not like, uh, Jesus, duh. He's like, no, 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 gentleness and respect. Like, think of a way to present this hope you have. But the biggest question that needs to be asked is anybody asking us where our hope comes from? Like, have we ever been asked that question? Are we ever on a regular getting asked this question? How do you have so much hope? You know, it might be packaged in a different way. Are you not stressed right now? Like, how, sorry, how are you not freaking out right now? Whoa, did you seriously just forgive that person? Wait, hold up. Did you just give credit to your coworker when you didn't have to? Wait, sorry. Did you talk respectfully about someone who wasn't even in the, in the room? Okay, hold, sorry. Are you living with integrity even when you could cut corners? Really? Like, like we ought to be ready to answer this question. Where's your hope come from? That, that, that the expensiveness of the city that we've decided to call home, which I believe God has probably called you to if you're here, that that does not dominate your thinking. But instead uh, of lowering ourselves to the lowest common denominator, everything here is so expensive. And then we just have a conversation about how expensive it is. And like, yeah, let's go for dinner, right? <laughs> we need to go for drinks and talk about how expensive things are in this city. Like, like that there would be a higher way of thinking where people would find themselves either explicitly or implicitly wanting to be around us to ask this simple question, where do you get your hope from? How do you walk through pain it's not like you hide it, but you feel it and you don't let it dominate everything about you. How do you handle disappointment? Sorry, you, you didn't get the promotion you thought you'd get and you're still smiling? What? That, does, that doesn't make sense. Wait, the, the relationship that, that you were in did not work out the way you thought it would and you're still okay. Oh, wow. Where do you get that hope? 
I mean, this ought to be something we plan for and we prepare for and we get ready for because God is calling you and I to be an influence. And the influence that he will use us in is not that we would stand on a platform of our strengths, that we would stand on a platform of our, of our accomplishments and achievements and look down upon the world and say, look how well I've done. Do you want to know how I did this? It's God. But instead that the platform we stand upon would be our own weaknesses our own weakness, our own failure. Now, that, that's the very reason for which Jesus, in his mission to save the world, didn't use the, the, the systems of the world. He, he, like, he didn't use old media. I was talking to someone, someone a while ago, and their business is, is entirely marketed around uh, influencers, like relationships made with influencers. Entirely. It's like, man, I really like your feed. Can I send you some stuff? And it's unbelievable how they've scaled their business. And yet, they, re- they get constant uh, flack from people saying, you should use more old media. Like, you should use the, the, the systems that have already been laid out and, and, and lean into old systems. You need to do more like commercials. You need more banners. You need more other things because at some point, this won't work. And they're going, well, it's kind of working now. And you think of Jesus, he didn't use the system of old media saying, what I need to do is go to the synagogues, convince the teachers of the law to tweak their ideology around religious thinking, and then to write it in textbooks and then to teach the next generation. Instead, he went to the least and to the last and to the lost, to the lonely and the insecure and the isolated and those who had felt on the outside of society. He's like, I'll just be your friend. And then he sent them out to be influencers way before their time. I'm going to be honest, they were not ready. Still, still evident weaknesses in their life. Still like some really notable flaws in their ideologies. Still some real gaps in their, in their like comprehensive doctrine and epistemology. And yet, Jesus saw fit to release people, even in their weakness, to be an influence to others. This for me is so exciting because it means maybe God can use someone like me. This for me is so exciting because I look around a room like this and, and I think of our, our location in New Westminster, our location in Kits, even people who listen on, on our podcast. I'm like, God can use us, guys. He could use us. And, and he's not waiting for us to be perfected before he can use us. He can use us right now. Like if we would let him, he can use us right now. Each of these next five weeks, we're going to look at, at the story of someone who encountered Jesus and because of that encounter became an influencer. And you're going to see this common trend. They weren't ready. This common trend, they, they, they didn't feel like, like they were perfected yet. I was talking to someone recently, like, you know, I think over the next few years, if I work on things real hard, maybe God could use me. Like, hold up, how small is your God? How small is your view of God that you've got you to gotta put in the work and the grind for some years before God could use your story? Turn with me to the book of John chapter 4, if you would. John chapter 4, this classic story of Jesus interacting with someone and then releasing them to be an influencer. I want us to just draw a couple of really succinct conclusions from this story. And as we'll do every week, as we look at a story, perhaps you can see yourself in this story. I want to warn you that in this story, we're not the Jesus character. All too often, we try to read ourselves in as the hero to every story, don't we? Like you like a movie where you're like, I can relate to the protagonist. I can relate to the hero of this story because I'm kind of like that hero. And then the people who know you best are like, really? (laughs) 
So are you see yourself as that? That guy goes to the gym, right? And you're like, no, I don't think so. You're like, you watch a Marvel movie and you favor the, the one who you think you're most similar to. But in this story, really, we are the ones that Jesus is extending grace to. We're the ones that, though undeserving, get swept up in the grace and the goodness of God. Look at John chapter 4. This is an incredible, incredible story. I hope you're there. I've got a, a, just a couple points that we'll make on the screen in a moment. But let me read you the story first. John chapter 4. Great story. It says this. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not him who baptized, but the disciples. So he left Judea, and he went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. That's the hottest time in the day, and this is in the ancient Near East, so it's not... Not shady, not cool. It says this, uh, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her this, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. They're having a really confusing conversation about water. Would you agree with me? I'm like, there are some cultural things going on that I do not understand because this is, this is a weird conversation about water. Let me give you a little bit of context. In that time, Jews and Samaritans did not talk. The racial tension was palpable. They, they were on different sides of virtually every political argument they could be on. They just simply did not like each other. So it would not be customary for a Jewish person to cross that barrier for anyone, least of which for them to cross both a racial and a gender line. It just wouldn't have happened. That a Jewish man would talk to a Samaritan woman would have felt inappropriate and weird and felt like, man, this is awkward. I've never had a conversation like this before. Because usually men talk to men, women talk to women, and certainly they didn't cross these racial boundaries. Can we agree that there's some brokenness in that culture? Can we agree that there's still brokenness in our culture? Okay, cool. We're all on the same page. I would hate for someone to think that was then, this is now. We, we still live in a society with brokenness in all sorts of cultural forms. And yet I believe Jesus is still the light of the world and he's still breaking down barriers. And if we're going to reflect his light, we ought to do the same. So here's Jesus breaking down barriers talking to, to a woman, and not only was she a woman and of a different race, but she also uh, was coming out to the well at noontime, the most inconvenient, uncomfortable time that anyone could go for water. It's an illogical time to go get water. This is not when you go get water. In fact, all of the women in the community would have gone together like a small group to get water in the morning. In the cool of the day, before the sun was high, they'd go get water that was cool. They would take it back to their homes and put it in a shady place where it would remain cool. Here's this woman going in the least convenient time of day to go do an arduous chore of carrying heavy water through the hot plains. Like it just, it's illogical. The only reason would be that she did not fit in. The only reason would be that not only did she feel a barrier towards people of a different race, not only did she notice the obvious apparent barrier of those from a different gender, but she didn't even fit in in her own group. Like she was a loner. She was alone. We'll find out in a moment perhaps why that was, but she was isolated, 
and alone. She comes there, probably a little surprised to find anyone there, let alone a man, let alone a man of a different culture, let alone a talkative man of a different culture. And here's Jesus. He's like, hey, can I have some water? And she's like, whoa, dude, that's so weird that you'd ask that. You're a man. I'm a woman. You're Jewish. I'm Samaritan. Did you not catch on that I'm here in the middle of the day? I'm not your typical people person. Why are we talking right now? And then Jesus says this. Actually, here's the thing. If you knew who I was, you'd actually ask me for water. And then I would give you water that would leave you never thirsting again. She's intrigued. Sir, she says, you have nothing to draw that water with. And the well is very deep. Where can I get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave this well and then drank from it from himself? as did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst again. Indeed, water that I give will become like a spring of living water on the inside, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty anymore and I don't have to come here to draw this water. She's like, I want to know the trade secret. I'm swiping up. All right, you got me. There's a way to have water and never need to come get water again. Are you, are you like prophetically, preemptively talking about indoor plumbing? I got to hear about it. Right? She's like, I'm swiping up. Tell me the trade secret. I, you got me. I'm intrigued. Clickbait, whatever it is, I'm in. I want to know the water that you have that actually releases me from this uncomfortable, inconvenient chore that I do on the daily, reminding myself of my own isolation. All of a sudden, she's like, I'm not thinking about our barriers anymore. I'm not thinking about this, this, this newness of conversation anymore. I just want what you got. Jesus then... Like, I don't know how good of a conversationalist he was. Look at his, his comeback to her. She's like, I want this water. And he says this, go call your husband and then come back. It's like she's going, oh, okay, is this like a multi-level thing where I need to bring some friends along on the journey with me? I get it. I get, okay. And she's like, she goes, actually, can't do that because I don't have a husband. Jesus' response to her gets a little weird. Follow with me. He goes this, you're right when you say that you don't have a husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man that you're now with, he's not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Let's just stop for a moment and make this observation that, that Jesus corrects kindly. Like, can we, can we not understand how, how gentle this is? She has just been exposed for, for kind of telling a half-truth. And Jesus is like, oh, man, I just want you to know, you are so good at recognizing that you're not married to the guy you're with right now. Good job. That was really true. The whole story would be that you've married five times, they all failed, and now you're with someone else. But, hey, I'm just proud of you for being honest. And sometimes we think God is like this angry, vindictive, judgment-oriented, you know, he's, he's looking down to point out our flaws. I could never go to church because the, you know, the whole place would burst into flames. And, you know, there'd be this finger pointing down, pointing out my flaws. And here's God. This is the way he points out flaws. If you see Jesus, you see the Father. Here's the way, right? The kindness of God that leads to repentance. He's like, oh, I'm so proud of you for recognizing that you don't have a husband. That was quite true. It's quite true. Like, I suppose an angrier person could be like, are you trying to lie to me right now? You're saying you don't have a husband. Are you just going to disregard the five that you were married to before? 
Are we not going to get into the fact that you're, you're living with something? Like, are we not going to go there? But not Jesus. He's too kind. Man, if we're going to reflect the light of Jesus for all to see, be influencers in the world, we probably ought to look like him, right? Our, our tone probably ought to be that way. Our approach probably ought to be that way, that we're not looking to, like, gotcha, aha. But we're actually looking to, to pour affirmation on people, to pour acceptance on people, to meet them where they are. So he goes, I'd love to meet your husband. She goes, I don't have one. He goes, oh, man, you are so true. You don't have one. Count them, five. This guy you're not sure about yet. She answers him this way. She says, sir, I can see that you must be a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped here on the mountain, but you Jews claim that the only place to worship is Jerusalem. She's like, I I get it. You know some things. Either you, you talk to one of my former mothers-in-law and they, they told you about me or you just know stuff. And, and so you must be like spiritual in a way that I've never encountered. He says this, woman, believe me, a time is coming where you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We Jews worship what we do know. Yet a time is coming and has now come when you will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For that's the type of worshiper that he's looking for. God is spirit. And his worshipers then must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know that when the Messiah comes, uh, he'll explain everything to us. Like she goes real spiritual. She's like, okay, you've out-theologied me. I don't know what you're talking about anymore. Mountains, Jerusalem, what we know, what we don't know. Messiahs, prophets, I don't get it. One day God will make it make sense. And then he answers this, woman, the man that you're speaking to right now is he. He reveals himself. He's like, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who can make sense of all this confusion. I'm the one that can bring an answer. It says at that point, the disciples returned. They found Jesus talking to a woman. They're like, why are you talking to her? So, so Jesus had flawed friends. Okay? Jesus had friends who were still stuck in that same broken mindset. And then it says this, the woman left her water jar, and she went back to the city. And she told everyone her testimony. You're ready for her testimony? It's powerful. I'm telling you, this is like a theological masterpiece, okay? Get ready. It's a textbook of theology. This is, you want to know anything about how God takes broken people and makes them whole, how he transitions, uh, transitions us from darkness into light, from death into life. Get ready. This is a great testimony. You with me? She comes into the city. Verse 29, she says, come see a man who told me everything that I've ever done. I think he's the Messiah. That's her whole testimony. I think it probably got to get you a little more excited than that. That's all she's got. That's it. And she feels empowered as an influencer. There's way too many people who feel like, I don't know all the answers to all the world's problems. And so I just, I don't think I could even begin to talk about the really simple things that I've found to be true because I don't know the complex things. But here she is, is like the only thing I know. Now, the, the crazy thing is not that Jesus knew those things about her. It's that he knew those things about her and was still kind to her. You catch that, right? It wasn't the knowledge. It was, oh, you weren't treating me nice because you didn't know. You actually knew and you were still nice. That's grace. It wasn't ignorance that led you to be kind. It was grace. It wasn't that you didn't see my flaws. It's that you didn't identify me as my flaw. You, it's not that you didn't see my brokenness. It's that you didn't see me as broken beyond repair. That's the message of the grace. That's the message of the gospel is that God does not identify us as our problem. He's like, no, I'm the solution to those problems. 
In fact, he extends kindness in the midst of them. I mean, this is crazy. It's revolutionary. So she comes to the city. Imagine this lonely woman who didn't even hang out with the other women in the city when doing a common task that they all did. She was pretty isolated. She comes back to the city. She said, guys, guess what? I met someone. They're like, yeah, you've met a lot of people. We've heard this. She's like, no, 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 not that way. I met someone. They know everything about me. They're like, yeah, we all know everything about you because we gossip about you. She's like, no, 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 no. It's different, though. He was nice to me. She's like, I've encountered a new reality. I have have come face to face with grace. I think this is God. And, And check out what it says. It says they followed her back to Jesus so they could hear his message. Verse 39. Write this down if if you want to go back and look at your notes later. John 4, 39. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Then go down to verse 42. It says this. Then they said to the woman after a few days, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. What a great influencer she was. What an incredible influencer that her little story, I it was found out to be imperfect and still loved. I got issues, but I still have received grace. They're like, well, that's enough, enough to get our attention. And then they said, now we don't even believe just because of your story, we have our own story. Could it be that there's people in your sphere of influence, in your world, waiting for you to share a testimony just like that? Yeah, 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 I just got to fix my problems first. If I could just beat this addiction problem first. If I could just get over, like, get my temper under control first before I, I don't want to be, like, too open with my faith because then I'm going to get judged for being imperfect. I got I to gotta fix myself first. And I think, like, the Spirit of God would be saying to you and I, you're ready right now to begin to be an influence. I'm not looking to elevate you in perfection. I'm actually looking to, to show my power through your weakness. Have you heard this? No, two things. What's her name? John chapter 4, what's her name? Don't know. Never even said. She changed the whole city and it wasn't about her. Like, like there's all these people like, ah, oh, you know, I don't want to step out too much because it's not about me. Yeah, of course it's not about you. Of course, you don't even have to worry about it being all about you. Like, God has a cattle on a thousand hills. He holds the whole earth in his hand. He calls the stars by name. We're like, oh, I just don't want to, you know, put myself out there because it's not about me. Like, that, that's false humility. Of course it's not about you. We don't even know what this woman's name is, and she's had influence that spanned a th- like thousands of years. She turned her whole city upside down, and eventually what they said was not like, we need to learn more from you. They're like, actually, thank you for being the bridge from where we were to Jesus. Now we just know him. Like, like, it's not your, your step up being an influencer so you can be a leader in all spheres. No, no, just bring your story to the table and you might bridge the gap from where people are to where Jesus is and they could experience grace for themselves. Come on. Have you heard this, this statement? If you've been around in influencers, I don't know if you've heard this statement before, content is king. Heard that before? Uh, a statement popularized by Bill Gates actually in 1996 in, uh, it's funny, you're like, you know what they say, content is king. Yeah, Bill Gates said it 24 years ago. It's not, it's not a new tweetable thought, but still. Content is king. This thought that everyone's consuming, everyone's trying to learn, and everyone's trying to grow. And so the more content you can put out, the more, the, like the, the more advantage that you have. Are you following me? 
And I, the statement is true, certainly, in marketing. It's just not true in gospel. Like, like content's not king. We can say content's king, and it would lead us to say this. I don't have enough content yet. My story's not finished yet. I still struggle. I'm still broken. I'm still disappointed. I'm still questioning. I still got some doubts. And so I, I got to amass some more content. So I got all the answers before I answer the question of where my hope comes from. It's just not true in the gospel sense. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Paul is talking. Uh, we'll show it up here on the screen. Paul's talking. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when God called you. Not many of us were wise by human standards. Can I get an amen from somebody? And not many of us were influential. Not many of us were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the weak things of the world, sorry, to to shame the strong. Down to the next verse, it says this. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no, uh, got a little spelling mistake there, so that uh, we could not boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness our holiness, and our redemption. Content's not king. It's not that you've got to get wise before you can be used. It's not that you've got to get influential before you can be used. It's not that you've got to be more noble before you can be used. Right where you're at, God uses little things. God uses small beginnings. God uses broken pieces to do beautiful things. Content's not king. I'm going to tell you the real secret. Are you ready? The real secret is this, because we're going to make a trade. I told you at the beginning, this message is entitled Trade Secrets. I want to invite you, let's trade our secrets. Because if we think that content is king, what we're, we're tempted to do is hide all, our, hide all our flaws. Because we think this, i got to have a perfect argument for every question that might come. And so we actually live in the secret. But what does Jesus do to this woman at the well? She's getting all spiritual. He's like, cool, can I meet your husband? I don't have one living in the secret. He's like, I know, but I really like you anyway. Like, it's cool that you tried to lie to me. still love you. She's blown away by his kindness. So we've got to trade secrets. Ready? Here's what Paul says is the secret. You want to know the secret? Philippians chapter 4. You want to know the secret? If someone beside you leaned in right now and said, I have a secret for you, what would you do? Well, first of all, if you didn't know them, you might be like, who are you? And your whisper on my earlobe did not feel comfortable. Back off. But if someone you know is like, hey, i got a secret for you, are you not compelled to kind of lean in and say, tell me more? Tell me what is, Paul says this, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to conclude with this today. Philippians chapter 4. He, he says this, verse 11. We're going to show it up on the screen as well so you can see it. Philippians chapter 4. I'll start at verse 11. Here we go. It says this, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content whether, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret for being content. Do you want to know the secret? Come on, do you want to know the secret? He says this, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether I'm fed or hungry, whether I have plenty or I'm in want. Here's the secret. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Is that like I can go without because I know who my provider is. I can, I can be, you know, walking through some disappointment because I know God's got my back. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Content's not king. Content is king. Listen, content's not king. Contentment is king. 
To live in contentment, that's, that's, that's where influence comes from. Influence is not because I know all the answers to all the problems. Influence is this. I actually am peaceful, even in the tensions that exist with my doubts. Because I know I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Yeah, but you're not living in the prosperity that you could be. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Fed, hungry. Actually makes zero difference to the, the state of my soul. Because I've learned this. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The greatest piece of your witness will not be, guys, I used to be unwise, but now I'm, I'm so wise. Learned everything, and you too can do the same. Swipe up, and I'll show you how. And that's actually not the secret. It's actually not the secret. The secret is just contentment. People are going to ask you where your hope comes from, not if it looks like your life is perfect, but if they watch you walk through things that are imperfect and you stay the same. They watch you walk through things that would wreck someone else. You're like, we're going to be okay. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where's your hope come from? And Peter says, be ready when that question comes. You're going to get it a lot. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This word strength, the Greek word means this, the type of power that shows itself in deeds. In other words, you can do some things that people said you couldn't do because Christ will give you the strength to do them. You can conquer some things that you never thought you could because Jesus will give you the power to do them. So let me speak this over to you today. Some of you have been making declarations over your life that simply aren't true. Because of Jesus, you can be a good parent to your kids. And you can submit to your spouse and love them. You can overcome your addiction. You can get in shape. And you can be optimistic. And you can control your temper. And you can hold your tongue. And you can live in sexual purity. And you can handle this right now even. And you can forgive your, your dad. You can focus and you can follow through on your decisions. And you can pray, and you can read your Bible, and you can lead people, and you can share your faith, and you can because Christ will give you the strength to do that, and that will become the platform for your influence. Not that you are without flaw, but that God's power works within you even when you are the most flawed, even when you are the weakest, even when you're the least and the last and the lost. You're the type of person that God is calling. Let me pray for you wherever you are. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.